Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with Todd Adkins. And today we are excited to talk with one of the original, this is a little throwback right here, one of the original hosts of 5LQ, Barnabas Piper. And if you don't know Barnabas, he is an author, speaker, and assistant pastor at Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. So Barnabas, happy to have you on today. It's good to know some things don't change. I forgot about Todd's, uh, Todd's. I don't know if we call that an intro or what that is, but it, uh, it was a, it was a wonderful throwback. I don't do it very often, but I did it pretty much every episode with you, so I, I thought I would. I know. Old, old school uh, 5LQ today. Happy to have you back on. But hey, you are, in January, you were releasing a new book called Belong, and also this last fall you released a book, Happy Rant. So we'd love to just hear about both of those books, I know one is more for church members. One is a little bit more on uh, the fun side, probably, uh, that you, Ronnie, and Ted wrote. So we'd love to hear a little bit about both those books. Yeah, the uh, the Happy Rant book, we'll just go in chronological order. The Happy Rant book that we released, um, I think it came out in August, which in in, uh, in book ages means it's been long since forgotten because <laughs> people remember books for about five minutes. Um but uh, so, yeah, I co-authored that with Ronnie Martin and Ted Cluck, who I do the Happy Rant podcast with. And it's uh, it is basically sort of our podcast greatest hits, if you will. So we what we do on the podcast is just look at the all the weird and quirky things about Christian culture and kind of culture in general. Just so, for example, like why are Christians so weird about money? What's up with Christian fame and why does it ruin everybody's life? Uh, stuff like that. Why does everybody get mad about manhood and uh, and, you know, kind of that whole thing. So and so each of those is a chapter in the book and we just go back and forth and kind of riff on it, uh, trying to balance as many jokes as we can fit in with uh, with some thoughtfulness and hopefully something that people come away with some encouragement, some helpful ideas. Um, and because we're so creative, we just titled the book The Happy Rant because uh, anything we just couldn't come up with anything better. So that one came out from Harvest House in August, and it was a, it was a good time. We had a blast writing it. I was really disappointed that the title wasn't "Swing a Dead Cat in Any Direction." <laughs> that is that is a Ted Cluck uh, that is a Ted Cluck special, and I, I he he probably got that one in the book. You know, it, he probably and if I was to guess, it would be like "Swing a Dead Cat in Any Direction" and hit a hipster yeah. because he loves to he loves to throw those together. Um, but yeah, so if, uh, if people want to read something that's, it's super lighthearted reads quick and it's, it's much more on like the fun and poke fun at ourselves side of things rather than like the thoughtful dense way you downside of things, the happy rant would be, would be a fun read. I think Um, I saw, I saw on the marketing page, you guys put 2022 book of the year with an asterisk with maybe. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of near that time. I mean, was it <laughs> up for right. any of those awards? <laughs> uh, I mean, Gospel Coalition came out with their list this week at the time of this recording, and we didn't make their list, which that's fair. We probably made fun of them in the book, so they may have uh, taken yeah. it personally. They do a lot more like thoughtful stuff. Um, our friend Aaron Armstrong put us on his favorite books of the year list, so one oh, Canadian blogger likes us, so that's good. <laughs> there you I go. will say, uh, yeah, man, I just, um, if you're a person who likes to say witty things, but aren't witty yourself, 
this is a perfect book for you because you're going to pick up all kinds of things that you can say and take credit for. Like Swing a Dead Cat. That's right. Just, um, that became part of my vocabulary so much so that I'm like, did I hear that? Where did I hear that? And then I was like, I, this morning I was actually thinking, was that Ted Cluck? Or did did we just say the same thing? And I'm like, no, I think I think it was Ted Cluck. So I'm paying. Yeah, Ted. Now. Ted is. Ted is hilarious. He is his. Uh, so he kicks off every chapter and kind of tees it up. And he did such a good job that it made it real easy to just sort of, you know, it's a lot easier to respond funny if somebody starts funny. So he he did an awesome job with that. Um, the other book you mentioned, Belong, comes out January 1st uh, from the Good Book Company. And it is so the subtitle is Loving Your Church by Reflecting Christ to One Another. And the whole book basically answers the question, what does it mean to belong to a local church? Um, so why should we? What's God's design? What do we do if it's been really hard to belong to a church? Like if we've been hurt by a church or we just kind of feel out of place. So trying to start with a real biblical framework of what is what does God intend and then move into the practicalities of what does this look like for you? How do you navigate it? What does the culture of a church look like where, where belonging uh, is, is healthy and is easy. Um, and this is actually part of a series of books that's going to be coming out called love your church. Uh, so the first three, so I wrote one, Tony Marito wrote one and then Jen Oshman wrote one and then other books will come out. Um, later in 23 and, and on down the road to, I think there's going to be somewhere between eight and 10 books in the whole series, but they're all small. They're designed. They're the kind of things that are designed to put in the hands of church members and go through them together, read them in a membership class, those kind of things. So they're accessible. They're easy. They're not, uh, they're not like dense church leadership books. Well, that's great, man. We're excited about both those. And, uh, let's hop in here to the five, five questions and you should be pretty familiar with these. I sent these ahead of time, but I was like, I think you should know because you've asked these a lot. I was going to say, I, I, I remember, I remember sitting in, uh, sitting in my little office on the ninth floor of a building that no longer exists in downtown Nashville coming up with these questions. There's, uh, there it, there's a hotel there now. And yeah. A lot more. And a lot more other and, things and, being built um, and Amazon's and Amazon's downtown headquarters, which there's some irony there too, but very, we don't need to get into very, all that. No. <laughs> all right, Barnabas, number one, you've asked this question a lot. Love to hear your answers to it. Who are you learning from right now? Yeah, this, this is actually a really easy one for me right now because uh, in August I started uh, a master's program at Grimke Seminary. Um, so I'm getting a, uh, well, Lord willing, we'll get a master's in theological studies through Grimke, um, which is a small seminary started out of the Acts 29 network in Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, it's, it kind of started at more of almost like a cohort level. So all church practitioners, um, all people who are serving either full time or in the kind of on an elder track at local churches, um, and then the professors are all pastors and practitioners themselves. So, and there's a, there's a fairly small number of professors. It's not a huge seminary. So the people I'm learning from right now are primarily, uh, my professors and then, then the authors that they assign us. Um, and I'm, I've been, been really grateful for the faculty there, the way they interact with students, the way that they, um, the way that they model what they teach in their 
in their own church ministries, the way that they can they can bring in actual church leadership practice into the theory in the classroom. Um, I honestly, I was pretty leery about seminary, not not um, in, on principle. Like I don't have an issue with seminary, just my own personal fit because because I'm, I'm almost 40. I haven't been in school in a long time. I really don't like formal academic settings and I don't have any aspirations to be an academic. So I really wanted something that would be, it'd be beneficial in ministry. I'm an assistant pastor. I care for our small groups and, and member care and, and, you know, theological education at our church and things like that. So who's going to help me grow in that. And so the, the faculty at Grimke has been awesome in that, um, at an interpersonal level, as well as at, a, at the, the formal scholarly level. Yeah, hearing you, hearing you talk about that, I know some people, you, like you said your story, you were in ministry, uh, serving at your church, and then went to seminary. And I think a lot of people wrestle with that question, should I go to seminary? Like, I, it feels like I'm supposed to, I'm not sure if I need to. You know, if, if somebody were to sit down across the table from you just having coffee, was wrestling through that, uh, what, what, what just some things to process as they're trying to figure out, should I further my education in seminary? What have you learned maybe even just in yeah. the process of deciding if it was for you? Yeah. I, well, a couple things. One is, I mean, it, it is, it is so much a case by case basis. Um, I think for a long time, seminary was sort of a one size fits all model, you know, in terms of residential seminary taught by, um, gifted academic theologians. And so it, it had certain strengths and certain weaknesses. And in recent years, they've, you know, seminaries have, have started to expand their model. You know, there's a lot more online opportunity, a lot more cohort based things where you're there once or twice a semester, but doing a lot of the work on your own. So the structure of it makes a big difference. You know, is somebody in a position where they can go to be a residential seminary student is a very specific time and place in life. For most of us, especially if we have families, if we have full-time jobs, especially ministry jobs, that's not an option. Um, so that that's a piece of it. But then the other piece is what are your, what has the Lord called you to in ministry? What are your ministry aspirations? Where do you see your trajectory? So I look down the road and I don't have any interest nor do I think I have the capacity. Like, I don't think God wired me to be an academic. Um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but just I, not, not in the classroom, not pursuing a terminal degree. Um, I don't want to read papers at ETS. That world is not for me. It is for some people. So I needed something that was going to pour in as directly as I could see it to the ministry that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I anticipate being in a, in a role, something like what I'm in, hopefully at a manual for a long time. Um, I don't, I don't have, don't see any, I don't have any desire to, to do something else. So I need something that's going to help me pastor well in my context. And so a seminary like Grimke, that is more practitioner based, not academic elite. It's not, it's not, a, you're not pursuing academic elitism there. Uh, made much more sense to me. Um, it's a, they, they weave in the, so part of the application process is having a pastor or an elder at your current church basically sponsor you. I am overseeing the ministry work of this person in this way, their growth track. So there's a built-in um, 
kind of boots on the ground aspect. So for me, that context made sense. Um, whereas like there are great, there are great seminaries out there. You know, there's covenant seminary, there's Southeastern seminary, there's, uh, you know, Ted's there's whatever. None of those made sense for me, but they do for somebody else. So I would, I would probably sit down and go, you know, what stage in life are you? What has the Lord called you to? If you don't know, how are you pursuing clarity on that? And then in light of those things, which of these programs, is it an MDiv? Is it a master's of theological studies? Is it a a master's in leadership and so forth? Which of these makes sense for your, for the trajectory you, you anticipate the Lord leading you on? I really like that because that's a mentality of, um, at this stage in life with children, um, with uh, working at a church, you know, full time serving there that you go to get, you don't just go to look around because, you know, if you go from college straight into seminary, you're still in that looking around phase. (laughs) This is like, Oh, I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. I know, you know what I need and um, I'm going to get. Um, So, yeah, I would say don't just, look at the specific seminary and what they do really well. Um, if if you're Mm -hmm. considering that for sure. Now, the next question is, uh, really going back to what you're currently doing. So what are your main points of emphasis in your leadership right now? And then, you know, what, what challenges do you have and how are you addressing those? Yeah, Chandler and I were talking before we started recording and just kind of the general how are things going to church kind of question, uh, which is like the obligatory. Anybody who's in church ministry throws that to somebody else and you never know what you're going to get. Um, but what what we've observed this year and really felt at Emmanuel, and I think from talking to other other church leaders, it's the same, you know, COVID and the shutdown and all of the ramifications of that uh, two plus years ago had had a really reverberating effect in church for about a year and a half, two years, where it just was sort of a constant adjusting to figure out how do we do this well? How do we serve our people well? The context is changing. Some people aren't coming back, uh, so forth. This, this last fall, so fall of 22, is when it felt like oh, we're full speed ahead now. Like ministry is as normal as it's going to be for the foreseeable future. So um, people are back. There was a lot of turnover in the congregation, you know, and in Nashville, there's, you know, where we are, especially uh, kind of on the near to downtown, it's real transient just because of the number of young professionals and everything. So I don't, I don't have hard numbers, but I would say, maybe a third of our church of 40% of our church has turned over in the last couple of years. So people have moved away. Uh, new people have come in. So that that's a, that's a challenge and an opportunity all in one. And so the point of emphasis for our leadership right now has been the last year, year and a half, especially is I put it in kind of two categories. One is shepherding. So just how are we caring for these people? Because, the other thing that COVID has done is it kind of shook loose a lot of the suppressed unhealth, um, mental unhealth, emotional unhealth, relational unhealth caused a lot of financial distress. So people have been at their at their most fragile in a lot of ways, and people have been more uh, open about a lot of those things. So we have more people coming to us with more needs. Um, so that's so our, our pastors and elders 
are, are focusing on that. And then the other piece of it, and they go hand in hand, is just the connection piece. How do we connect hundreds of people uh, who are relatively new and have been pretty distant to genuine community in the church because that's you know that's where the life of the body is experienced it's not that hard to get people to attend on a sunday morning but to get people to buy into genuine investment in relationship to take that that you know that sort of risky step we have the added uh variable of being kind of a regional church so we're we're located closer to center city and we draw from I mean, I looked it up uh, earlier this year. It's like 60 different zip codes. Um, we have some people who are driving in from Southern Kentucky. We have people driving in from uh, like Columbia. So that's, you know, an hour, hour, you know, an hour south of town. How do we, how do we facilitate community with that sort of spread as well as the sort of disconnectedness of the last couple of years? Those have been the real points of emphasis for us with you know, varying levels of success, I would say. Well, you can't, I mean, you know, the, uh, the church that I was in before I came to Lifeway, we were a big groups church, also regional church. And the, the difficult thing with, for us was even if somebody stayed, they would likely move. Um, yeah. And yet not wanting them to commute to community because it, it's, it doesn't, it, it, I don't know that it works long-term unless no. that is a super, super sticky group. Um, yep. But groups are stickier often than your, people are stickier than your preaching. So what do you do with that? How do you, how do you, how do you, you personally move people from, you know, coming on a Sunday morning into group life? Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that, that we've done as a church in the last uh, few months is we, um, we had a couple departures on our staff. And, and so one of the people we hired, he actually used to be at Emmanuel, went away, pastored elsewhere, and then came back, uh, is overseeing all of our, uh, all of our assimilation processes, which we didn't have somebody directly overseeing that and our church had outgrown the ability to organically assimilate, um, you know, churches of a certain size, maybe sub 500, sub 600 can, can fold people into community just by noticing who's new. Uh, you get above that size. We're, we're pushing a thousand on a Sunday We're you know, that kind of 800 to a thousand range, you miss people. People just fall through the cracks right and left. So we needed somebody to help us think through uh, when somebody walks in the door and they're new, where are they being invited? Where are they being directed? And then when they get there, what are we doing to, um, to, to give clear options? You know, hey, if you're looking for community, here's how you get involved in a group. Uh, very practically, we've, you know, we have a, we have a <clears throat> page on our website where all of our groups are listed on a map. And it says day and time of when they meet. And so you can look at it and go, okay, I live in this area. Um, there's a group that meets on, you know, Tuesday night at seven, that's seven minutes away from me. I'm going to try that group out. And so just trying to create as many to remove as many barriers and create essentially road signs to 
this, this is the next step for you. And there's still a lot of holes in our system. We're still figuring it out. We're still strengthening it. Uh, we, we keep finding gaps where people fall through realizing that if somebody finds a group on a map, getting them to actually show up at that house <laughs> to meet with that small group is really hard. They'll make first contact. Hey, I'm interested in your group. And then they no show. Okay. Well, how do we make it easier for people to take that step? Um, so those are all things that we're thinking through. And then one, the other thing that we've discovered, and this is just kind of across the board is that anything that we give emphasis to from the pulpit. So from up front carries more weight. Absolutely. If we send emails, if we, if we put it in the church podcast, if we put up signage, if we, whatever it registers to, you know, you know, 20 or 30% of the people. If we say it from the pulpit and we say it on repeat, it, it carries weight. So if on a series of Sundays, we're inviting people into groups, we're giving instructions on how to join. And we tend to do this beginning, you know, earlier in the fall and then early in the new year, kind of those rhythms of, of people starting new things. <clears throat> those, that's when we see the uptick. So those are the things that we're doing to try to make it easy for people. And then, um, the transients within the church. So like people moving from one part of a town to another, <clears throat> usually those people have relationships in the church that, you know, if, if they're already part of a group, they usually tend to find another group. It's getting people into their first group. That's the biggest challenge. People don't often, from my experience, fall out of community once they're in it uh, nearly as easily as like they just sort of languish outside of it to start with. And I would say people uh, sometimes move based on their community, too. So, yeah, um, I mean, a big part of the reason why I moved uh, during covid was all my friends were gone. All my community was gone. And the couple we were closest to, he took a church in um, Mark Satterfield. He took a church in Lebanon. And I I uh, leveraged that and ended up with land that I always. I was going to say, did you get the did you get the acreage you've been dying for? We both got we we both got what we wanted. Um, I will say this: nice. there was a marked change um, for us when the senior pastor got in a group and then mentioned it regularly in a sermon. So it's not just like, hey, yeah, we had a couple times a year that were um, we emphasized groups. And we made all our groups do one thing, the same thing. Um, and we made it a major emphasis twice a year. But on top of that, it was just the regular seasoning in the sermons of, hey, can you talk about anything from your group? If you can work it into a sermon, if it's you know, whatever it is, if you just casually mention my small group uh, or I met with my group this week or you know whatever it is, if you can do that. Um, do it. And it's, it causes a dramatic shift yeah. um, because it's organic, it's authentic. And it's something that, you know, that he's doing too. So when it's, and it's, yeah, it's proof of concept. I mean, it's one thing to say, we believe people should do this. It's another thing if you see the leadership doing it. Um, and that, that's something that we have not, we have not emphasized as much. So we, we do, we do a fair amount of inviting, but not nearly as much. I mean, we have half our elders are either half our elders lead a small group or a discipleship group, maybe more than half. Um, most of the other elders are involved in one. And so it, 
it, it's probably a missed opportunity on our part to be able to say, hey, the vast majority of the people who are leading this church are investing in this both to care for you and to be care for themselves and and to kind of give that proof of concept. That's that's a really good point. OK, another thing I'll say, and then Chandler, I'll shut up for a while and let you ask questions and do your thing. <laughs> um, we when we started serving every two years, we would drop in uh, a during, you know, a Sunday morning staff hated it. People probably didn't like it that much, but uh, from up front, we say, hey, this is important. This is why this is important. But um, we would survey, we did the typical demographic data, but then we also you know, found out if you were in a group, a small group leader, if you'd taken a trip, short-term trip, or you, you know, we looked at all these things from, from the church. And it was fascinating to look at how sticky groups are um, for people that come on Sunday morning. And uh, in many cases, they attend the group more than they do Sunday morning, which was eye-opening for us. Uh, but the importance of longevity, the importance of spiritual maturity, um, spiritual disciplines, giving, every, serving everything dramatically increased with a group. Yeah. And that is when it finally clicked for our senior pastor at the time. Um, to really emphasize groups. Uh, and we just continued to see that, you know, every two years. Um, but you know, it was a big leap for him because he wasn't in a group and he didn't want to be in a group. And we're like, well, when it's you, you have, you roll with the same, um, three other couples, which most of which are on staff, y'all are together pretty much every week. You're going to dinner, you're doing whatever. And I'm like, that yeah. is your group. Just, make that intentional that is your group he's like oh okay. put a name on it yeah yeah it's i will say it is it's weird it, it can be very weird for pastors to get into a group like in it like if they went through the same sort of sign up process just because of the when a pastor's in the room, there's a gravity there, you know? So there's a group leader. They're the ones who are leading discussion or leading prayer, but everybody's looking to the guy who's in charge in many cases. And so that, that, that has to be handled, I'd say with delicacy in terms of how to put a pastor in a group where it doesn't feel like one more responsibility or one more place where he has to take, but, but, you know, t take uh, ownership, but rather a place where he, he can just be himself and maybe maybe more importantly where his family can be themselves and be like okay this is just this is genuine community not another program that we are responsible yeah. for on a weeknight or whatever yeah that's really key where you you don't have to feel like on you can feel just yeah. a part of the community that's huge well hey we can keep talking small groups but we want to keep moving <laughs> uh to number three uh third question Barnabas, what are, what are two to three things that you absolutely must do daily and how do they benefit your leadership and just, you know, yeah. overall life? Yeah, this is, uh, it, it's another one where, you know, over the, over the past seven years, or I should say several years, there've been things that I've done with some consistency and then stopped doing. And there's really only a couple things that I do that I'm like, this is, if I don't do this on a given day, it feels like I've sort of lost my ballast. Uh, and, so the first one is every morning, just kind of as, as part of whatever, whatever stands as my devotional time, that that kind of ebbs and flows in terms of serious Bible study or lighter reading or whatever. But one of the things that I do is to 
record things that I'm grateful for. Um, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was just at a, I was at a really rough place in life and an elder at the church I was at then actually probably, it's probably been closer to 15 years now. Um, he suggested that cause he recognized, he recognized how heavy life was. And then also, uh, he, he knew me well enough to go, Oh, you have a strong bent towards cynicism. It's a lot easier for you to complain and point out what's wrong with things than to be, you know, grateful or gracious. And so he just said, why don't you write down three things you're grateful for every day? And, and so I started and I basically done it with consistency for the last, yeah, 12 or so years. And the, it's hard to, it's hard to trace a direct line between it and the effect on my leadership, except that there, there are few things healthier than orienting yourself early on in the day towards God's kindness, especially when things suck. You know, if it's a hard leadership season, a hard family season, just a, a you know, physical health, weariness, whatever it is to have the discipline to say, no, th there are three things I can be thankful for today. You know, at the very least, the work of Christ remains true today, just like it did yesterday. So I can write that one down again. Uh, you know, if the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, I just got to find one to write down or two. And so there's a that discipline has been one that has been very uh stabilizing and orienting at you know there's been a lot of ups and downs uh right now life is in a sweet season and things are really good um but it hasn't always been that way and and so to have that same discipline throughout has been has been significant um the other one and this is way less uh spiritual is i have discovered that making dinner uh, probably not every day, but five ish, five, six days a week is really good for me because it takes my mind out of the ministry space and into the family space. And it's a thing I can put my hand to that has real results. Um, I mean, it could be, whether it's as simple as like burgers on the grill or whatever, almost everything I do lives in the realm of, boy, I hope that worked. You know, that's basically ministry in a nutshell. You pray and you hope it worked. You know, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody, you're planning ministry, you're 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 recruiting people, you're preaching. Boy, I hope that worked. Well, you know what I know works? A good recipe prepared well. You know, so like that kind of thing, there, there's a there's a um there's a satisfaction and just like it could be super simple, but like it worked. And it, and it put me in the kitchen. Uh, my kids are teenagers now, so they're usually kind of just hanging around after school. Um, maybe we have music on, whatever. And there's just, there's a window of time when it's super normal. Conversations about the day happen, uh, jokes happen. And then we sit down and eat and maybe that's really rushed because they're off to whatever's next, but, but that window. And so it, it, it stabilizes and it puts me in a way better frame of mind and, and ability to connect with my family, uh, as opposed to just living in the outward focused and in the kind of, um, immeasurable of ministry. Yeah, man, I love that. It's, uh, the past like six months, that's been something that, uh, I've really been doing <clears throat> during, during the pandemic, I got a, a big green egg and it just <laughs> made me love cooking. I'm jealous. And it's, yeah. it's become just a rhythm. And like, it's like what you said, 
it just allows you to decompress and you're not, you're just kind of doing step by step and then you get to see the reward of it and then just sit around the table and eat. So what's your, I, I need to know what's your go-to best meal is, you know, mine will go or his on the green egg. Um, we'll, go, we'll go with yours, Barnabas. All right. Um, I mean, I can take a dead animal and turn it into something good. I mean, kind of across like de- dead fish, dead chicken, dead deer, dead cow, whatever. Like, and I like trying new things. Like, I just I, so you know whether it's. I think the one that I can go to on the the easiest is any version of like kebabs on the grill. So. Mm. Venison steak, chicken, lamb. I don't get lamb very often, but just like kebabs on the grill is is one that's super easy. It's one that we do a lot when we have people over because it's sort of a, it's kind of like a one stop. You got all your vegetables, you got all of your meat, and then you just got to do a couple sides and throw it on throw it on the table in a big pile, and people can get at it. What's your best on the big green egg? I I I have uh, aspirations of getting one of those, but don't have one yet. Oh man, well you got to get one. Um, yeah, I think. You know, there's there's a lot of things you can do on it. You can do pizzas. You can do smoking meat, just chicken. We do chicken often on there. It's it's really easy. But I mean, just throwing like a pork butt and having pulled pork on there is great. So I mean, it's just a ton of food. You can use it down the road. So yeah, it's pretty easy. Noted. You mentioned cooking a little bit. You know how that kind of structured even your day in the home. But what is what does leadership in your home look like these days? Yeah. You said you got teenagers. I'm sure, yeah. that comes with challenges. Uh, what, what does that look like lately? Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. Not because I mean, well, in part because teenagers are inherently challenging. Um, so I have two daughters, and they're they're awesome kids. They're great. Um, they're also just they're at a stage in life where. It, it demands an enormous amount of me figuring out how to change parent change as a parent. Um, so, so much of the energy of leadership in the home right now looks like figuring out how to make the transition from telling my kids exactly what to do and expecting them to do it to the call more, more of the coaching mindset, telling them what, what they ought to do, giving them instructions on what that can look like, and then letting them be really bad at it. Uh, the problem is that it, and I think any parent of teenagers can attest to this. Um, you want to give your kids freedom to make mistakes, but all the blowback of those mistakes comes back on you. <laughs> you know, if your kids crash their car, you know who has to deal with it? Parents. You know, your kids get in trouble at school. Who has to deal with it? Parents. So it's, you know, when they're 25 and they do dumb stuff, you can be like, that's on you, buddy. Uh, at, at 17, it you're like, I want to keep you from mistakes. I need to give you the freedom to make mistakes because that's how you learn. And I take, I, I take the penalty for your mistakes, generally speaking. And, uh, there, there's probably something very tied up. <laughs> there's probably something I ought to be learning about the nature of God there and his mercy, you know, but, but mostly I just get frustrated. <laughs> Um, so that, yeah, but it's, it, it, leadership in the home. I mean, it, it is a blast because having, having burgeoning adults is really fun because on their, at their best, they're hilarious. They're brilliant. They're thoughtful. They're great conversationalists at their worst. They're teenagers. And that, you know, those are rough days, but, or rough hours. Cause it goes up and down fast. Um, but but I mean, ever since they were little, my aspiration was I want to raise great adults 
And I want to raise kids who, when they're like 30 and they don't have to visit me anymore, they still want to. And I, I feel good about that trajectory, you know, where they're going to be, they're going to be good adults, I think. Uh, and then I think they like me enough to want to see me again in 10 years when, when it's, when it's entirely optional. The, the other, the other part of leadership in the home right now is, um, uh, my, my wife went through a job change recently. And so praying through that with her, thinking through it, thinking through what is, what's the right career track? What is, you know, what, what is the appropriate amount of risk to take and then figuring out how to be the right support for her? Cause it's her job and it's her work. And I don't have anything to do with the day to day, but I do have a lot to do with whatever she, you know, she brings home in terms of stress or anxiety or whatever. So just being an appropriate, uh, sounding board support, giving my input without giving a like, here's a game plan, do this as you think, you know, but more like how much, how much advice do you want? So kind of weighing through those things to be not, not, not to be like you figure it out, but also not to be so involved that she's like, stop telling me what to do. I have to figure this out. And, uh, it's, it's gone really well and it's been the Lord's provision. Uh, but, but again, there's, it, it feels like a season of life of learning that balance of appropriate input and appropriate, like hands off. And, but both with, both with, uh, parenting and marriage, particularly in that, in the workspace. All right. Last question. <clears throat> what would you tell your 20 year old self about <laughs> preparing to leave? What, what advice would you give? Young Barnabas. I think a conversation with Barnabas now and his 20 year old self would be awesome. It would be amazing. I would love to see, I would pay money to see it actually. I would Cause do. it would be, it, it would, uh, it would be amazing. <laughs> I, I don't have the word. Well, I mean the, my, my entire, my entire attitude as a 20 year old was you can't tell me nothing. So what would I tell myself? Probably nothing because what a waste of breath, but what did my 20 year old self need to hear? Uh, it, uh, my wife actually pointed this out to me, totally separate conversation a couple of days ago. She's, she's reading through uh, the old Testament and I think she's in numbers right now. And she just pointed out, she said, you know, what's funny. They, she said they would send 20 year olds to war, but you had to be 30 to care for the like the the items in the tabernacle so that the, the holy items. So 20 year olds can go do very necessary, very valuable, courageous, risk taking things for the sake of the kingdom. But the careful, thoughtful, caretaking things were for 30 year olds and up. And then I, so she said that and I started thinking about it and I was like, well, yeah, at 20, I wouldn't have put anything valuable in my hands. That's insane. Um, but then you kind of think through the biblical patterns and like David became King at about 30. Jesus started his ministry at about 30. There's nothing magical about 30, but there is something that 20 year olds would benefit from understanding, which is that they have a ton to offer but wisdom comes with time and intentional learning. So there are things that are nuanced, things that are careful, things that require discernment that a 20 year old probably can't take responsibility for very well. Um, but with 10 years of, of learning and growth and investment, they can. With 20 years, which is about where I'm at now, they'll probably be even better. And so, you know, 
I think what I would want my 20 year old self to hear is not you, you dumb kid, you have nothing to offer, but rather like give everything you've got in the appropriate lanes and listen carefully, observe carefully, follow the advice of Proverbs, you know, pursue wisdom because then in 10 years, you'll still be young. To me, 30 is young, but 30 is way older than 20. And, uh, and, and it's way, there's way more capacity for wisdom there. So just invest in that so that you can take on the careful, discerning parts of leadership. It's a strong word right there. So for all those who don't want to read numbers, there's a lot of great wisdom <laughs> even in there in the Old Testament that you don't even realize. So there's a little plug to read the whole Bible, not just the New Testament. Well, Barnabas, man, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's been great to have you back on this time as a guest for all those years that you hosted. And for you listening, we hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, share this episode with somebody, uh, leave us a rating and review, and we hope to see you next week. See you.